Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. Welcome to another edition of Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. I'm Gordon Glenister, and in this edition, we'll be meeting three members of the influencer arm of the Branded Content Marketing Association. And in a while, I'll be speaking with legal guru Rupa Shah and motivational influencer Adam Cam. But first, I spoke to author, public speaker and influencer Tenny Edwards about her fascinating journey. I didn't plan to become an author. It was so unexpected. Um, I started writing to sort of release the emotions and feelings that I were carrying that was really um, just taking over uh, my life because they were very um, sad thoughts. And I'm quite a shy person and I don't really speak to people about... um, things that I go through so I I wasn't really sure where to turn and writing was um, where I released my pain Um, so that's how that began. Um, I then started to post my words on social media because I guess I was searching for understanding Mm. Um, and when I saw that um, so many people were able to resonate with what I was saying um, for me, I felt like very liberated. Yeah, I'm sure. And it was comforting. My audience definitely, I feel like they've become my family because they've like, a lot of them have grown with me. Um, a lot of them have been following me before I even published the book. So they've seen my journey um, in writing, um, publishing the book and growing as a performer. So you've one of the things I've when we met at an event recently. One of the things that uh, I was quite intrigued about is you've grown, you know, a, a sizable Instagram following of, of over thirty five thousand, um, and now you want to progress uh, into the influencer space uh, more. That's right. um, so I'm particularly interested in in how you've developed your audience uh, and how you think the influencer working with particular brands uh, is going to yeah. help that. Um, so I started posting my words in 2016 mm-hmm. on Instagram. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. I never knew that I was building an audience or or anything. Um, but what I saw was that people were able to resonate with what I was writing. And I wanted my writing to reach more people so that I could help more people. So I started interacting with people in the comments um, of larger platforms that posted quotes and found out the most common hashtags also um, that people were using relating to the things that I was writing about. Mm -hmm. And I started interacting with people there. Um, I would do this for like several hours a day, um, every day. Really? Yeah. And that's, um, that's quite interesting because I think some people that are, are very new to influencer marketing, they look at it as if to say, wow, you know, uh, yeah. how can somebody grow their audience so quickly? But uh, it takes a lot of work. It's not an, yeah. it, it's not, it's not an overnight success, is it? it yeah, really, definitely it, not. No. Um, so I was doing that for a while and it brought me up to like about almost 10,000 um, within, um, I'd say a year to a year and a half. So, um, and then I got signed um, 
by a publisher company called The Good Quote, um, who have an audience of over 15, 15 million, including like celebrities, um, who literally took my Instagram to the next level by reposting my words on their account. The next step would be um, to write about somebody else's story that's quite close to me. Um, yeah, that would be the next step. I feel like a lot of people would be able to resonate with some of the things that they've gone through in their life. So for me, when uh, my publisher started reposting my words, uh, my followers was growing um, like quite um, like very quickly. And I was getting a lot of DMs and some of the comments were negative. Um, and I found this really hard to deal with to mm. begin with. Mm. Um, I used, It used to make me feel really down. But um, as an influencer, like you said, you sort of have to accept that it's all a part of the process and the negativity strengthens you. Um, it helps you to build tougher skin. Yeah. Um, just like JK Rowling, Beyonce, I mean, they all, they're, they're all a huge success and they, they're critiqued. So if they can be critiqued, it's okay for mm. us to be critiqued too. Mm. <laughs> and, and do you think, I mean, I know you said you were, you know, a little bit shy at the beginning, but do you, do, yeah. do you see yourself as, as potentially a mentor or, or fairly inspirational to, to other women or guys or whatever that are, that are on the early part of their journey on, uh, on uh, social media marketing? Yes, definitely, because writing a book, it doesn't just um, sell itself. So I've sort of learned how to how to do that, how to market it. And a lot of people do ask me for advice. A lot of other influencers ask me for advice. So, yeah, I do. Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. Next, I spoke to Adam Cam, who's a motivational influencer who started the decade with over 460,000 followers on Instagram. And I was keen to find out how he started out. So I started my whole kind of social media journey back in 2013 when I was a train driver, actually. When you <laughs> were a what? Like railway. A train driver. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I say, I, say, I say a train driver. Have you heard of Doctors Like Railway? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's the train that drives itself. So I was a driver of the train that drives itself. <laughs> uh, great. <laughs> so anyway yeah i started my social media journey back then and it was just for fun to be honest everyone was on it and it was more just a social thing and following my kind of fitness idols and so on and as the years went by i started to realize that people are actually making money from this you know people are setting up businesses and setting up collaborations and sponsorships and i said you know what i want a piece of that as well so i kind of dived headfirst into it and put out lots of fitness content and I didn't get any traction <laughs> right. at all. I kind, of, I kind of nosedived and it was, I was putting lots of work in, putting loads of effort into it and it just wasn't getting any traction. And what I did, I started to read books on marketing, on influence, on persuasion, on personal branding. And I really kind of immersed myself in it. I really, I'm kind of obsessed about it for about eight, nine months. I really went into it. I even hired a mentor to help me with it as well. And I came up with my message with my message, with my own personal brand. And when I had that, things, everything just flowed. Everything, I started to gain traction. I, I studied the algorithm, how that works, and I put everything together. And mm. since then, I haven't looked back. When I speak to people, they find it really difficult to start with. Um, so I, yeah. guess, I guess my next question is, 
is you know if you were somebody starting out now for the first time you know what what would your um, what would your advice be first to get clear on the why why do you want to build a following do you do you want more money do you want to sell products or services do you want to build a following do you want status get clear on exactly the strategy is different depending on what it is exactly that you want if you're a coach or a consultant then it's important that you niche down and your content has to be tailored to your exact target audience Otherwise, your message is kind of wishy-washy and you're not really targeting anyone. Mm. Your page isn't going to grow with your ideal audience. So for a coach or a consultant, it's really important to kind of niche down as much as possible and really nail in on your ideal audience. And what I call those foundations. Now, how I'm going to put it to you is when you build a big, beautiful mansion, what, what are the first things that you need to have in place? You need to have strong, solid core foundations, right? Mm. And a lot of people bypass those foundations. Because uh, they're, they're, they're hard work. They're not fun. They're not sexy. They're not exciting. Yeah. People are looking for the shiny objects. Yeah. They're looking for the plasma screen TV, the, the marble flooring. Now, that's what the people are looking for. The, the quick fixes to quickly grow their page. When you bypass those foundations, yeah, you'll get the mansion up. After a couple of weeks, you'll start seeing some cracks. Those cracks get bigger. And then after a couple of months, your mansion crumbles into a big pile of shit. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on here, but it crumbles. <laughs> it crumbles. And that is what I see that time and time and time again with so many influence and so many people trying to build their page. They don't have solid foundations. And that comes down to a message. What mm. is your personal brand message? What are you all about? So when someone first comes to your page, it's a 10-second scan. They perform a 10-second scan. And they look two seconds at your profile picture four seconds at your bio, and four seconds at your first nine pictures. If they cannot see exactly what value you are going to provide them in those 10 seconds, they will not hit that follow button. Mm. Yeah. So those yeah. 10 seconds are really important. Your message needs to be very, very clear on what value you can provide to your target audience. And what about You've got 10 seconds in which to do that. And what about some of the icons? Do they make a difference, do you think? What you're actually saying in your bio... You know, you say, so when you say the value, what, give me an example perhaps. So what value is someone going to get from following that page? What are they going to get? So example, my page, it says positivity, motivation, self-love and coffee. That's what they're going to get when they follow me. Right. <laughs> that, that is my content. That is, what they, that is what they're going to get when they follow me. And they look at my pictures, my first nine pictures, and they are fully aligned to what I have said in my bio. Right, right. So, okay. so there's no doubt. And I said the power is in the caption. So everything that they see on my bio is fully aligned to my first nine posts. And they know exactly what they're going to get. So if you're working with somebody then, presumably, and you, you, you've got a current account in front of you, what, what do you suggest to them? That they, they start again? Or do you, um, because I'm, I'm assuming that when you're working with people, you know, you're not starting from scratch. You're starting from people that have already got an account and it's just not perhaps getting the traction. So I guess what I yeah. wanted to say yeah. is what do you, how do you repurpose that and reshape that? Yeah, so when I first look at an Instagram account, I see a bucket. That's what I see, a bucket. And I see loads of holes in that bucket. And all we do is close up the holes in that bucket. So you can get, on use all those tips and tricks, you know, influencer marketing to, hashtags you can get eyeballs on your page that's easy it's not hard to get those eyeballs on your page it's actually very easy but you can get those eyeballs and they'll fall straight out through the holes in your bucket so when i see an instagram account within five minutes i can see all the holes within their content really their wow perhaps you'll have a look at mine <laughs> yeah <laughs> you should have a look at no mine problem, yeah yeah no indeed so, so, some people some people some people say it's a gift 
but for me it's just failing myself and learning and learning and becoming obsessed with it yeah and that's how I've, I've, I've kind of gathered that experience over the years yeah yeah so what are the common mistakes do you find that people are making the biggest mistake is they want to grow too quick yes yeah. so what, what I do as part of my with my clients is, is coaching as well you know managing people's expectations people come in I want to grow 10,000 followers in a couple it's just not going to happen it's just not going to happen. There's so much that goes into it. The, mm. the messaging, the, the, the foundations that I mentioned, those mm. are the and that takes a couple of weeks to get into place. And then you have to kind of tailor your content towards that, but it doesn't happen straight away. Yeah. You just move, move into it. So it does take a couple of weeks to kind of bring in your new methodology. Sorry, your new methodology, your new, your new content strategy. So I, I used to run a business called Shift Worker Fit, where I started my business as coaching just everybody wanted to lose weight. And the business didn't go very well because I was just a commodity. I was just a small fish in a big pond and everyone was selling fitness plans. Yeah. So then I went, because obviously I worked on a trade as well, and I niched down into work coaching just shift workers and my business took off my coaching business. So yeah, the power is in the niche. But again, it depends on exactly what it is that you want. You know, some people want to grow and they want collaborations. They want sponsorships. And for that, you need a large following that is heavily engaged. Mm. If you want to sell your life coaching, if you want to sell your fitness program, then you need to find a specific niche, hone in on it, and serve the shit out of them. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> that, I agree. Page, that's I, how your page is going to grow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what about um, looking at other people that perhaps you admire and and and, and um, you know growth hacking, i.e., getting fo- following those types of people that follow your heroes. Yeah, and commenting on their on their stuff. Yes, that is that is one way to get that issue. That's something that I would used to do quite quite a lot actually. Networking, get yourself out there, yeah. get yourself seen, and don't just comment with an emoji. Comment with a kind of deep and really kind of engage with them as well. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I mean, some of the people that I follow, I'm, I'm, I, I really do notice that it isn't just one or two people uh, that they comment on. It's pretty much all the way through. And I think it's almost as a, it's that sense of recognition and acknowledgement that the person that's following you is taking the time to um, to do that. It's a, you know, and, and, and for you to be able to acknowledge that, I think is, uh, is valuable and they'll want to tell their friends exactly exactly and i comment on pretty much i don't know if you've looked at my at my page but i comment on about 90 percent of the people that comment on my on my uh, posts yeah and i get around 500 comments a post <laughs> wow that is incredible sometimes, sometimes i come back from a long day and i'll just i'll just respond to everyone yeah that is incredible and do you finding that you're only on um instagram that that's all your focus on or do you look at the other platforms as well as a as a way to drive people towards what you're doing yeah so at the mo- i am an Insta- instagram is my bread and butter I've, I've mastered that platform now and i'm growing about seven or eight k every week so instagram is my, my bread and butter that's my baby but linkedin i've been on there for two months and it's taken off in those two months I absolutely love LinkedIn because it's a good place to network and sure. meet kind of like-minded people who, who love and who are passionate about the same things as me. And another one is TikTok. Yes, of course. The, the latest baby. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Are you, so you, yeah, have, so you done, have you done some work on TikTok? I'll tell you what, my first post got 220K views. <laughs> 220,000 views? Oh my 220, God. My first post, it just went bang. It just exploded. Um, it slowed down a little bit. But I'm going to be resilient. I'm going to keep pushing on there and keep going. I've got um, 
20,000 likes on there now. Or, and it's quite it's quite good because the organic reach is really good on there. So I feel like now is the time to really push. Yeah. But another thing I've seen on there is a lot of people are getting very excited and they're going away from their their brand. Message. Yeah. It's too it's too they're, it's supposed to be too comical or stuff like that or exactly. Yeah, and no. I think I think that's a huge mistake because. People won't take them seriously. Yeah. They're one way on one platform and something completely different on another. Yeah. So what I'm doing is kind of tailoring my message from Instagram into a little bit more of a light-hearted version, but there's still brand alignment. Yeah. You know, I'm not going away from yeah. who I am and what I'm trying to promote. Mm. And what, what about um, IGTV? What's your thoughts on uh, on that? Yeah. So I had a little play with that. Um, I did some videos on that, and I wasn't very keen on it. I'll be honest. I was. I, I don't like the way it fits into the Instagram page. It doesn't fit seamlessly. Instagram is not a platform where people are going to sit and watch for a long period of time. They don't associate that platform with viewing long videos. So I find that people drop off very quickly. They watch it for like a minute, two minutes. And if I've done a 10-minute video, it doesn't get the engagement that it should do. That's more, you, so, more YouTube, more isn't YouTube. it? That's it. Yeah. And that's why Instagram have realized they were losing that battle. So now they've also done horizontal videos as well for IGTV. Yeah. And the whole USP was that it's vertical. That was their whole selling point. So, I mean, final tips then um, before you before you shoot off. What's your... Um, what would you say your three killer tips are for um, really rapidly developing your Instagram? So the first one is to have a killer message that is completely aligned to what it is that you want to achieve and what it is that you're trying to promote and tailor all of your content to that one message. I call it, I call it a straight line. You can deviate slightly, but you always come back to that straight line. Yeah. You come from left, you come from right, you can come up, you can come down but you always come back to that straight line. That is probably the most important tip that I can give. Okay. Then is posting frequency. So Instagram are now rewarding people who, content creators who post regularly. So basically people that are able to keep their viewers on the platform for long periods of time. Instagram want people to stay on the platform. Mm. So if you're posting regularly, you're posting good content, people are viewing your content, they're spending more than 20 seconds on your post, then you are seen as a valuable creator and you'll be rewarded for that. So they'll expose your page to more people to keep you motivated, to keep you posting more. You'll get more likes, you'll get more views, and you'll get more followers. The final is something that no one ever talks about, really, is the mindset of an influencer, the mindset of a quality content creator, and that is resilience. Do you know how many top-notch content creators are now in a nine-to-five job that they absolutely hate? Because they gave up after a few posts didn't get enough likes, after it didn't get enough engagement, and they weren't resilient enough to push on. Yeah, I can imagine a so, lot. I'm telling you that there are so many, so many that I speak to, so many people that I know would absolutely crush it that just don't have the balls to carry on doing it because they didn't get enough likes, because they feel like their content wasn't good enough. Yeah. So the third tip is be absolutely fucking relentless. Believe in it, want it, and go for it full steam ahead. Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. Lastly, we have Rupa Shah, who previously worked for industry regulator, the ASA. Sure. So I started off in their investigations department. This was straight after law school for me. Um, And it was, I think it was 2004. So it was around about the time that the ASA was taking on broadcast advertising remits. So previous to that, they were only looking at 
ads in traditional sort of print media, so newspapers, magazines, that type of thing. But as I joined, they were taking, they were expanding and taking on complaints in TV and radio as well. So it was a big time for them. Um, I worked in their investigative team and that's part of the, the role there was to, to look at complaints as they came in. They're already assessed by a different team. But in investigations, you take a look at the, the complaints that are definitely require investigation that need you know a careful look at so started off there um and then moved over to the committee of advertising practice cap yeah and um, that's the asa sister body and so one of the the roles of cap is to give advice to the industry so i worked in their copy advice team and giving advice to advertisers who had you know queries questions about the terms and conditions that type of thing for their ads and ultimately um, finished up in their compliance team. So, yeah, 13 years there, yeah. and that was the final. Kind of it's, it's a good innings, isn't it? And, and so tell us a little bit more about the, the influencer space of which you uh, are now heavily entrenched in. I mean, one of the things, in fact, we were both at an event together, and I, I was quite staggered by the amount of uh, complaints that the ASA does handle in the course of the year, but because yeah. we don't know how many of those are related necessarily to, to influencers. Um, What's your take on those individuals that consistently flout the hashtag ad rules? It's difficult because I think what might be happening is if it's a particular influencer, they might be doing it with brand A, brand B, brand C, brand D. So it might be that as a brand, you don't necessarily know that an influencer isn't compliant with the rules or they're not likely to comply if you're not doing your due diligence. Um, so, I mean, it's something that you should be doing as a brand, of course, and it's, you know, it's really important for your own responsibility as well as the influencers that you are compliant with the rules because the ASA holds both the brand and the influencer ultimately responsible if they're not disclosing correctly. And, and so just give me an indication then of what happens or what could happen to an influencer that doesn't uh, obey the law. Well, we've seen it. There have been some high-profile cases. You've had the likes of Louise Thompson, Olivia Buckley, I think. Um, so these are sort of in the celebrity sphere, um, influencers that have quite high followings. But it, it doesn't. you don't necessarily have to be an influencer with thousands of followers. It could be somebody with far fewer followers. But ultimately, what the ASA at the first instance will, what they will do is publish a ruling and it will be on their website. And it's a, it's a fairly softly softly approach at first but if they consider that an influencer is repeatedly flouting the rules and repeatedly not using the correct forms of disclosure for example they will ramp up their sanctions uh, with the ultimate sanction being referral for example to trading standards mm. um, and it might be actually that it's not the ASA that gets involved it might be the CMA because we know that the Competition and Markets Authority yeah. have themselves taken action against influencers so yeah do we need and do we need a landmark case to really drive this message home do we need somebody to literally fall by the sword <laughs> well there've been a few like i said there i mean there have been the the sort of the celebrity types who have had rulings against them for example louise thompson's had a couple of them there's not just been one mm. um but in terms of falling by the sword if you mean actual referral right away up to trading standards and Indeed. real um, for example, civil or criminal action by the CMA, that hasn't happened yet. But I think you're right, in a way, that might be the difference uh, and might make a, a change in the attitudes of those influencers that think, you know, it's just not going to happen to me or I'm not going to get caught. Well, I think that, and, and again, we were talking about it from, from the same event that we attended. Um, 
you know, those people that are just starting out, if they see people that they respect and and uh, follow religiously not obeying those rules, then they may say, well, well, why should I bother? X, Y, Z doesn't do it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a big problem. I think we talked about Gary Lineker, didn't we, at the event, and there were other celebrities that... Um, whether it's deliberate or not, you don't know, but they're just not necessarily disclosing correctly. They're not following the rules. Mm. Um, and, of course, the, pub, the papers would pounce, you know, the press would pounce on it if it is a big celebrity that the ASA tackle or the CMA tackle. So yeah. uh, in January this year, the CMA did um, write to, I think, around about 16 influencers uh, to explain that, you know, they were getting pretty frustrated with the lack of disclosure and suggested that if it keeps happening, they will take further action. And I think they went as far as states talking about their criminal sanctions. So there is, uh, the threat is there, but will it happen soon? I think we need to, we know, I mean, I was having a chat with um, a CMA representative at that event. So I know that there are ongoing investigations at the moment. So I think it's not a case of resting easy right now. There are investigations going on. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, I think we've all got a part to play as as leaders in our field, uh, to be honest, in in actually helping promote the cause. Because I think it's it's, it's good best practice for the advertising industry overall. And I think if we're going to create this authentic world where people are honest and open um, with brands and influencers, but more importantly, influencers with their followers, I think it's you know this has got to be done to be honest yeah. yeah yeah i think it's important and we talk about authenticity all the time in the influencer world and organic growth and we're seeing a reduction in the number hopefully uh, in the number of manipulation of fake followers that type of thing it's being called out all mm. the time it has so i think we are seeing the fact that i mean the the trends are showing the graphs are showing that actually your um your growth is not going to be necessarily reduced if you are using hashtag ad. It doesn't mm. mean that you are going to lose followers. Mm. I think that was the worry, of course, at the beginning, that if you've grown authentically and organically and suddenly you start using hashtag ad, it means you're going to drop drop followers straight yeah. away. But but actually, if you're aligning those brands with your values and it just makes sense for you to be promoting that product, you're not necessarily going to see that drop that, that everyone feared. Mm. Do, I was going to ask you, um, you know, contracts which are often driven by uh, brand partnerships. I'm guessing that in many instances, the hashtag ad is a part of that. So, you know, if the influencer wants to get paid as part of that agreement, surely they've got to obey by the uh, by what's in the contract. Absolutely, and it should be part of the contract. I think this is something the CMA talked about and they expect to see within contracts a clear area within that. And this is something that we advise on in Hashtag Ad, that those contracts should explain very clearly to influencers what they need to be doing, mm. to, you know, where they need to be putting the hashtag ad, if that's the... Not the buried point. in the links. Not but, Yeah, but, exactly that. Not buried down below amongst hundreds of other hashtags. It should be clear and prominent. But there are other ways of doing it. Um, but if you're talking about the contract, I think it absolutely should be in there. You can accompany that with extra information. Brands that are quite savvy will also send fact sheets and how-to guides to their influencers so that they're covering all bases mm. uh, and showing that they are responsible and, and helping their influencers you know, understand what they need to do. So that's it for another edition of Influence. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe and listen to our other episodes. And as always, we welcome your feedback. So from me, Gordon Glenister, goodbye. Goodbye.